Good morning, Saints. I am sorry that I'm not with you this week. I came down with COVID earlier in the week, and I don't want to uh, potentially spread it this morning. So I am coming to you by video recording, and uh, that's how we're going to conduct the message this morning. Please turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. And I'm going to read the whole chapter first, and then we'll get into the message after that. So Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through uh, 25. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able also to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Let me ask you a question. What is your nationality? Most of you are Americans and would say, I come from the United States of America. But if I dig a little deeper into my own life, I would say I live in the USA, but I'm a Canadian citizen. But my ancestors are from Scotland and lived there for many generations. So I could say I am Scottish. My children may say that they are Scottish Canadian Americans. How about you? What is your nationality? Are you really from Ireland, Spain, Scotland, Mexico, Argentina, China, Japan, the Philippines, India? Maybe you are a mixture of many nations. We can say that our little community of believers here represents many nations. And if you are a believer this morning, 
we all share the same earthly father. And I'll explain that in a minute. In the verse, in the first 12 verses of Romans chapter 4, Paul emphasizes that our righteousness before God does not come based on our own good works. It does not come as a result of our family heritage. It does not come as a result of our family heritage, nor whether we bear the physical mark of circumcision in our body. God looks past all of that, and he looks for faith in us. Do we believe him? Do we believe that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Abraham believed in God's promise, and as a result, God credited Abraham's account with righteousness so that God accepted him because he had faith. He believed God's promise while he was still a Gentile and before he received the circumcision mark and became the father of the Jews. In verses 13 through 25, which we just read, Paul teaches that Abraham was not, was not, and could not be justified by the law. Let's look at that. I want to approach this section this morning uh, as if this were a newscast, and I am interviewing Abraham as a guest on my show. Uh, you're going to have to use your imagination a little bit, but I'm going to do it this way because I think it will help you understand the passage that we just read and what took place from Abraham's perspective. Abraham, is it true that God made some unconditional promises to you and that he promised you that you would be the heir of the world? Yes, and uh, thank you for asking. God made several unconditional promises to me. Let me tell you what God promised. In Genesis 12, 3, God said to me, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis 18, 18, he said, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And in Genesis 22:18, God promised again, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So it is essential to understand that God gave me an unconditional promise. Some call it a covenant. Most covenants have two parties that agree to the terms of the covenant, but this was a one-sided covenant. God promised me this with no strings attached. So what you're saying is that God's promise was not like a typical contract. This was no standard contract. In a standard contract, such as a rental agreement, the landlord promises that you can occupy the property for some time, but during your stay, you are obligated to maintain the property's interior in good shape. Uh, you need to pay your rent on time. You need to report leaks or damage. And many rental agreements contain pages of fine print that you must follow. 
you're bound to that contract. But God's covenant with me was one-sided. He promised he would do everything. Now, many people assume that God made me righteous because I obeyed the law. But God's promise was not like that. There was nothing for me to fulfill. In fact, at the time God made the promise, he had not even given his law. The law came 430 years later at Mount Sinai when God gave his law to Moses. That was a long time after my time. I could not have been made righteous through the law because there was no law at the time. And when the law did come, it could not make void God's promise to me. The promise never was conditioned on adherence to a legal agreement. Instead, God made an unconditional promise to me. I believe God's word by faith, and he credited righteousness to my account. Okay, so you have really piqued my curiosity. What did God promise to you and to your seed? He promised land that is now known as the promised land with borders beyond Israel's current borders. You'll read about that in Genesis 15, 8 through 21. He promised descendants. Remember that I was childless when God made that promise, but he promised that I would have numerous descendants like the dust of the earth and the stars of the sky. Genesis 13, 16, and Genesis 15, 5. He promised that I would be the father of not just a single nation, but the father of many nations, Genesis 17, 5. And then what we read in Romans 4, 17. And that's why I assume you asked your audience, what is their nationality? And the fact is, it doesn't really matter what country they came from, because if they have faith as I do, I am their father, the father of faith. Their nationality doesn't matter. He also promised that through my seed, blessing would come to the entire world. Genesis 12, 3. And God promised to give me a son. But he was not just speaking about Isaac. He was speaking beyond Isaac to the seed, capital S, that would come through my line, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing to all who believe in him. At one point, I remember Isaac saying to me, Father, we have the wood, but where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And um, I said to him, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. We now know from history that God did provide his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the substitute lamb. John the Baptist said when he saw him, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By faith, I rejoiced to see his day. And when I saw it, I was glad. Abraham, you are considered the father of the Jewish nation. Yet the Jews are under the law. Didn't they become your rightful heirs by following the Ten Commandments? That is what a lot of people think. 
But the answer is no. The Jewish people are not my heirs through the law. Let me quote from Romans 4, 14 and 15. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no trans where there is no law, there is no transgression. You see, an heir is someone who receives an inheritance. The inheritance comes through the promise God made to me. It is mine by faith. If the heirs have to earn it by works, that is by law keeping, then you can throw faith out the window because you don't need faith if you must earn the inheritance by keeping the law. But God's unconditional promise stands. The promise comes by faith, not by, some, by doing something. God promised great blessings, land, uh, descendants, and blessings to the world. Under the law, there is no blessing, only a curse. A person must keep the law at every point all the time or they face the death sentence. The law makes no exception. It condemns those who disobey it in any way. So the Jewish people cannot inherit any blessing from the law. All they inherited was God's wrath because they transgressed the known law of God. No one can be made righteous by obeying the law. The blessing comes from believing, not from doing. So if the law only exposes man's sins and trying to keep the Ten Commandments only brings the curse, not God's blessing, how do your descendants receive the blessing God promised to you? The simple answer is by faith. Paul writes in Romans, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So God has always saved people based on his grace, that is, upon his undeserved favor. Our response to God's promise is to believe him. That's it. It couldn't be simpler. So those who are my descendants, my heirs, can receive God's promise of blessing simply by believing God's promise. It doesn't matter whether they are Jewish or Gentiles. As long as they have the same kind of faith as I have, they will inherit the blessing of God and they will be counted as my heirs, for I am the father of all who believe. So what is it that they must believe? Well, today, we must have faith in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the promised seed, and he has already come. When people come to him by faith, believing that he died for them, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, that faith in him, uh, based on their faith in him, God declares them righteous. 
just as he declared me righteous when I believed in him so long ago. The way is open to all people of every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation. Paul writes in Romans 4.17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. How did you receive that promise, Abraham? God took me outside one night and showed me the stars of heaven and said, so shall your seed be. Listen, if God could speak the word and create billions of stars from nothing, then it is not a problem for him to command death to bring forth life. Why should it be hard for me to have faith in him? God's promise is the surest thing in the universe. To trust in him is the most sane, logical, reasonable thing I could do. I believed his promise and he credited me with his righteousness. Wasn't that hard for you to believe? I mean, excuse me for saying it, but you were a very old man at that time when God promised to give you and Sarah a son. <laughs> I remember my reaction. I laughed, not in unbelief, but in sheer delight that God would still deliver on his promise to me. Now, you can read about the event in Genesis 17, 17, where it says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Paul writes in Romans 4, 18 and 19, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. You see, Sarah and I had tried to have a child, but Sarah was barren. I was approaching 100 years old, and Sarah was well past childbearing age. Humanly speaking, there was no hope that we would have a child. But God promised, and that was good enough for me. I did not lose hope in God. Hope is the assurance of something that is still future. Now, we weren't holding the child in our arms yet, but God had promised, and Sarah would bear a child just as God promised. I laughed out loud in what, at what God could do. It was sheer delight at the prospect of God taking two very old people who were as good as dead and bringing forth life. May God be praised. And sure enough, you can read in Genesis 21.5, Now Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born to him. Praise God. That must have been incredible to hold Isaac for the first time 
and rejoice with your wife, Sarah. My testimony is that God delivers on his promises. If God promises something, it doesn't matter what mountain stands in the way, what valley, what the depth is of the valley before you that you have to go through, what impossible situation there might be. God is faithful. His word is true, and he will accomplish all that he has said he will do. Paul writes again of me in Romans 4, uh, 20 and 21. Uh, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. I did not doubt what God was going to do. My faith in God kept my hope alive. And God responded to my faith and gave Sarah and me new strength and life to conceive and bear a child. All I can say is, praise the Lord. To God be the glory, great things he has done. I never lost confidence in God's promise. I waited expectantly for him to perform his promise to me. And he did. Is there anything else you wish to share about this significant event in your life? Yes. You see, God credited my account with righteousness. In other words, God made an unconditional promise. I took him at his word and believed him. Then the scripture says, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. God fulfilled his unconditional promise. Through faith in God's promises, God credits our account with his righteousness. That's great that God did that for you. You must be a very exceptional person. Oh no, I am no different than anyone else on earth. What happened to me is actually an example for you and everyone who wants to be righteous with God. Paul writes about it in Romans 4, 23 through 25. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So God made a promise to me, and I believed it. As a result, he imputed righteousness to me. But God is also making you a promise. Here it is. Believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Jesus was delivered to the cross for our offenses, our sins, and God raised him up, demonstrating that he was satisfied with Christ's death so that he could freely justify us. He freely declares righteous all who believe this promise. You can be justified today, just as I was justified by God's grace through faith 
in Christ alone. Will you believe him? Will you trust him as your Lord and your Savior? When you do, he will justify you just as he justified me.